finish up our our series on evangelism this morning, and God just impressed on my heart to share some different experiences. We're going to go through some passages in the scriptures, and but did you come this morning ready to give? Well, we're going to give you a couple extra seconds to get ready. But we're going to have the uh, ushers come forward to receive the offering, and as part of our worship time to Him, you know, our giving is is really a part of our worship. We just surrender even part of our finances to Him and, and God wants to do great things in our life. And Father, we ask as we would give that You would bless the offering. God, we do it out of faith and obedience. Lord, we give this morning unsure of what tomorrow brings for many of us. Father, we just trust in You to be our provider. God, I pray that each and every day You would help me and help everyone Hear God, to look to You to be our provider. Not any jobs. Not any government institutions, Lord. But help us to rely upon You and to know that no matter what happens, You will take care of us and You provide. Father, we know that we live in an economy that's outside of the economy of this world. And I'm grateful. Because outside of this economy, You said that You desire to bless us. God, that You will pour out a blessing in windows of heaven, God. Father, we trust in You to know what that blessing is. It may not be the things that we, we want and hope for, but it's all that You know that we need. So God, we trust You this morning as we give our tithes and offerings. Pray, continue to, we pray, God, that You would continue to use us as Your vessels of ministry. God, expand the ministry here throughout the world in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I want to say welcome to, our, I think, our newest addition to the family, Samuel James. <laughs> he came to us, what was it, just two weeks ago, right? July 10th. July 10th. He's... He is growing already quite well. Over eight pounds. Yeah. Yeah, only seven, seven, eight, you said? Seven, eight. It's already eight pounds, so growing into a healthy baby boy. Praise the Lord. Hey, um, don't forget to, this afternoon, in case some of you forgot, is Pastor Jeff's celebration. 4 p.m. at Community Church. If you didn't sign up, you can still come. Just show up at 4 and, and uh, $10 donation. We're having a great dinner. Uh, it'll be a couple hour, two and a half, three hour time of uh, history and the life and mission and ministry of Pastor Jeff. So don't miss that. If, you, if there's anything you can do, please be there for that. And I, I'm looking for two volunteers. I think, I think we only need two guys. We're going to need volunteers after and before, but I'm looking for two specific guys who would go at 1 o'clock to help move tables. I'm actually going to ask one of these, you know, two hands to, to help. We got one, Rod in the back. One more guy, one o'clock. Anyone? Thank you, Ray. Take one hour and you guys will be done. So, and then you kind of, you go home, shower, because you'll stink after that. <laughs> Come back at four and, and uh, enjoy the time and celebration. It's exciting. That's it. Hey, um, 
I, I, I'm asking, this is a simple thing of prayer before we get into our message. Next week, we're going off to, uh, to Las Vegas to a Holy Spirit conference. Shannon and I and Briars, and, and um, we're, just at, at, we're just seeking seeking God and seeking what He might speak to us and show us. And so be in prayer. We're looking for a, a great time and just a touch from Him. So I'm personally asking you to just pray that God would do some great stuff. Let's get in the time of the Word this morning. Father, we've come joined together once again to give You honor and glory and to be encouraged. Father, and, and I thank You so much for the Word that You brought this morning through Pastor Jeff. Lord, we need Your peace. We need Your joy. And I thank You that throughout this service, God, throughout this whole morning that You've been bringing it to me personally. Lord, I pray the same thing's been happening in the heart of everyone here. God, we need Your encouragement. We need Your peace. We need Your joy. Father, we need Your outlook and Your vision for life. God, and, and we would ask continually to help us get rid of our own stinking thinking. And... Adopt your way, your thinking. God, give us new minds, give us new hearts. As we get into the time of the Word, Lord, I pray that, that we would be encouraged, God, and that we would hear your, your voice through this message. And I would, I would curse any con condemnation now in the name of Jesus that, could be, that the devil could bring, Lord, that we're not doing enough. We curse that now, Lord, and just say, open our hearts to hear the Spirit what the Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Those who are in darkness have seen a great light. I'll read a few scriptures to begin. Mark 16. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that already happened. We're going to do it now. I apologize. So after the, the, the offering goes by, we're going to go to Mark chapter 16. You know, I was, I was challenged. And you know, what happens, you know what happens when the pastor gets challenged? He starts challenging everyone else. I was challenged when we were in Mexico to the amount of the Word of God that the, the people, the congregation knows pastor stood up at different times and i've seen this in the past at one night he just stood up and he began to say give me scriptures on love and just the people who were there just you know the 60 people that it was a it was a small bible study that night of the 60 or so they began to quote scripture all throughout the congregation everyone throwing scriptures from their heart from memory and he did this for about 30 minutes <laughs> He just kept going, and he kept going. More scriptures, more scriptures. He'd pick a new topic. How about a scripture on peace? How about a scripture on the resurrection? And the congregation just began to... And I was so challenged by that. How much word do I know? And, and, and not all of them knew where it was. Some, some of them had chapter, verse, and they would quote it. Some of them said, well, I don't remember where it's at. It's here. I think it's in the book of John, but they would quote the scripture. And then others just said basically the, the Scripture. And for every Scripture, I don't think there was one that Pastor De La Borda missed. He knew every Scripture where it was. If they began to quote it, he would tell them what Scripture it was. That's challenging and humbling. But as the body, we need to know our Word. As, as Christians, we need to know the Word more deeply. And, and I'm, I'm challenging myself to begin to memorize the Scriptures once again. It's really easy. 
to get dependent on things like this. You know, this has a concordance built. I got my Bible, and I, I like to read. I read the Bible often from this because I always have this, always. But it can be really easy to rely on, oh, where is that scripture? I'll just use the search function. And as you do that, as we use things like this, it's easy to not think about where you're reading in the Bible. What happens if digital stuff goes away, if we need to know the word here, we need to be able to find it. And so I'm, I'm encouraged. Mark chapter 16 is a scripture that, that some of us should know in here. Anyone want to give a shot at it today without looking? Mark 16:15. Yeah. Anyone brave? Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. This morning, <laughs> you know, this morning we're, we're we're finishing up on evangelism. Next week, I, we're excited about doing group multiplication. But I want to talk one last morning on evangelism. Second uh, Corinthians 5:18 says, "And this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ." and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I want to talk this morning about the need for evangelism, the need that we have, that, that God has given us to be part of the ministry of reconciliation. The last thing that Jesus said, Acts 1.8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. That was the last thing that Jesus said. He wanted us to know that he had given us a ministry and that we were to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But I know, I know that most of us sit back and go, not me. I can't. I don't know enough. I don't know the Bible. I don't want to go to a foreign mission field. We have all these things that well up, and most of us probably in this room, reasons why we can't share our faith, and those are all lies. Every one of them is a lie from the devil. Because we're all called to be part of the ministry of reconciliation. He actually didn't say, you're to go and do my witnessing, but he says, you're to go and be my witnesses. See, right there, that means we just have to be. We have to be what Christ called us to be. In, in Matthew, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he simply told us that we are the what? Salt of the earth. You know, salt doesn't work real hard at being salty. It just is. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever gone to, we, we used to do this, it was actually pretty mean, but we'd go into restaurants and loosen the salt caps, you know, and then leave it. I don't know if you've ever been the recipient of one of those practical jokes, and so you go to pour salt on your plate and the whole thing comes out. Salt doesn't have to work real hard to ruin your meal. I mean, it's just, it's just there. You are the, I know all these people thought, oh, I thought you were nicer than that, Pastor Rob. I was the guy that did that. <laughs> that that's right. That was at least two weeks ago. <laughs> we used to do pepper and salt in the napkins like at Carl's. And so when you pulled it out, it'd go... You are the salt of, <laughs> you're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You know, I, I think we are at risk at times of losing our saltiness as the body of Christ. I'm not saying we're at risk of losing our salvation. We'll fight about that a different day. But I think that we're at risk always. We have to understand that we have the ability to lose our saltiness.
by, by walking away from the Lord, by being too entrenched in the world, we lose that flavor that God wants us to have. We don't want to do that, but we want to be the salt, the saltiness of the earth. And then in verse 14 it says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. You, can you even look at your neighbor? You are the light. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We are lights. And your light testifies all the time. People know that you are a believer. People know that you're a believer. If you're a young believer, people are beginning to find out. You can only hide it so long. And, you know, if you're like some people, there's that, that challenge. You, get, you, you come to Christ and you're excited about Christ, but you're a little afraid of actually letting your friends know that you're a Christian. You might work in a place that's not real friendly towards Christianity and you're afraid to let your light shine. People see it. They will know. Something's going to give you away. If it doesn't, you need to ask some other questions. You're a light. You're a city on a hill and it can't be hidden. God wants us to be pervading into the world, shining this light, being salt to the earth. And we really need to allow him to do that. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket. I'm convicted by these statements. I go, well, I wouldn't put a light under a basket, but I know there's been times in my life, especially when I, in the first few years of my salvation when I was wanted to serve the Lord, but maybe I'd get into a group of people that just I just wanted to be part. And I would just hide my little Christian light under a basket. Remember those times when you were walking dually, double walking. You know, maybe and there was times I was doing outreaches and doing things, but we'd go and, and get together and it, a gathering would turn into a party. And then all these people would show up and I'd, oh, wow, I don't want them to know I'm a Christian. I don't know if any of you have ever struggled with that, but it's, it's real. God, forgive us for lighting this lamp, for allowing you to light our lamp and ever putting it under a basket. Help us to remove that basket and burn it in the name of Jesus. Because our light is supposed to give light to the whole household. God didn't give you eternal life so that you could feel good and stay at home and read your Bible and go, I feel so good about being a Christian. I'm so glad I'm part of me of the family of God. I'm going to stay in my little corner. He wants us to be pervading the darkness. He wants us to shine before men. And so he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're supposed to live our life out loud, out front, and we should not be ashamed of the gospel of peace, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We shouldn't be ashamed that we call on the name of Jesus, and that's what makes us different. I do believe it was Young E. Cho who said, you know, share Jesus by all means possible, and if necessary, use words. I understand the point behind that statement of that we don't always have to go out and be Bible bashers and, and, and scream Jesus from the corner, though I've done my share of that. But people need to know that your good works are driven because of Christ and not because you're a good man or a good woman. If we only do good works and the people around us don't know that Christ is the one motivating us to do those good works, you've only become a witness for yourself, not for the King of Kings. And there is truth that there are good people in this world. 
There are a lot of good people in this world. They're not going to get to heaven because they're good, but they're doing a lot of good things for philanthropic purposes. The, the, the Mormon people, they are wonderful people. They're helpful, but they don't have the whole truth and nothing but the truth. They're shining a light, but it's not in the name of Jesus. We should be shining our light and everybody should know that that light was lit by Jesus Christ. That's what evangelism is. It's not about going out to the streets, but it's about being who God created you to be. Shining the light forth that God lit inside of you. Some years and years and years ago, I called on the name of Jesus. It happened when I was a young boy. I knew something changed. I was eight years old. I called on the name of Jesus. I repented of my sins. I didn't know how many sins I had. I was only eight. But I knew that if I didn't repent of my sins, that I was going to hell at eight. I, I, that was the end of it for about seven years. I came back to Lord at 15. And during that seven years, I lived like hell. I, it, I, back in the day that it wasn't real popular, I started smoking, smoking pot at 10 and drinking. I was, smell, I was selling marijuana at Baldwin Lane Elementary School. It, it, not Baldwin, it was Maple Hill. Actually, I was selling oregano in bags that used to have pot in it. I didn't know Christ. I was, I was on my way fast to a place, to a life that was going to destroy me. But when I came back to this church, in, in this room right next door, and gave my heart back to the Lord at 15 years old, He gave me a new hope and a new vision. And my life radically changed. And I became one of these crazies for Jesus. I mean, I, I became one of those people that, that just offend people. You know, I'm looking over here, and Doug Lane's over there. and well, Yeah, that was me. Sorry. He was one of the teachers at the school at the time. I was hanging out with <laughs> yeah, some of the other bad kids. But when Christ, when I recommitted my life, he changed me. And I knew that I had something inside of me that had to get out, that the world needed. The world needs Jesus. And I became one of those radicals. So in high school, I actually would do a speech. And I hated public speaking. I mean, I hated it like most of you do. I would do my speech and I'd crumple up my papers and I'd shake and I'd, I would freak out, but I would do altar calls in my English class. I did, I did stories. I, I had to do a comparative book study, so I read all the Gospels and I did a comparative of the four Gospels and at the end gave an altar call right in my class. God did something in my life and He began to send me out and He wants to do the same thing for each of us in different ways. He wants us to be living a life of being salt, and light into a dark world. This world really needs it. There's a, an interesting thing, and I just thought we'd, we'd read it and, and look at the master evangelist in John chapter 4 and see if there are, are things that, that God can do in our lives and help us to understand in ways that we might be a witness to the world also. When I was young, people, I, I went all over, you know, doing street witnessing and hooked up right away with Mark and Janelee Johnson. My first official street witnessing um, crusade was Hollywood, California on Halloween night, 1988, the year of the riots. If you remember that year, I was there. And we went down there and we were sharing our faith and it was, it was crazy and passing out tracks and 
and the police were almost, we almost got beat by the police. We were behind a barricade and, and all these police were coming out and beating people and it was, it was wild and they came up to our barricade. We were on, on Cherokee Avenue and we're just standing there going, wow, I'm 18. You're like, what is going on here? And all of a sudden the police gave the command, let's take the next block. And they just started swinging at us and they moved the barricade and people trampled over us and, you know, God thrust me out into some interesting situations from a, from my youth and I traveled through many, many cities throughout the, the United States into the big cities, you know, New York City, Hollywood, Dallas, Seattle, doing those things. And people says, oh, man, you've, you, you've got it. You must be, have the gift of evangelism. And I said, I hate it. <laughs> I mean, I hated it. It was fun being out on the streets with friends, you know, going out there. But once I had to give somebody a tract or share my faith, I hated every moment of it. But I did it because... I was just young and dumb enough to believe the scripture that says go into all the world and preach the good news. I didn't think there was an option, so I did it. God wants us to begin to get that kind of a faith and say, God, I don't like this, but I'm going to be obedient to you. In John chapter 4, though, there's another way that God shows us that we can, can witness, and not all of us are called to go into, into the streets like, like I used to do, but Jesus... Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now, I want to set this up a little bit. I was reading this and you've all heard, I imagine you've all heard the story of the woman at the well and, and connected to evangelism specifically. But that, so I was reading this just like, God, show me some, some new parts. And the very first thing that I thought he showed me is, you know, Jesus wasn't looking for trouble. He wasn't looking for trouble yet. He would find it later, purposefully. There's a time we need to go and say, I'm going to do this, and it's going to be trouble. And we go because God is calling us. But there are other times that we have to have the discernment and wisdom to go, it's not time yet. I don't need to make trouble here. Where do I get that? It says, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had made and more baptized more disciples than John, he knew that they were, they were going to start flocking and coming to him going, wait a second, John was trouble enough. Now Jesus' group is baptizing even more people. Let's go find out what's going. And Jesus said, it's not time yet to stir this pot. So he left. And he goes, go ahead and show up the, the picture so we can get the, the picture of Israel. I think it's on there. So he leaves... Judea, which is down here in the, in the, in the south, right by the Dead Sea. And he's got to go all the way up to the little Sea of Galilee, to the area of Galilee up there. Now, this is, this is Israel. And one of the ways you can remember a general, play, a general map of this is at the top, up at north, is Galilee. And at the bottom is an area called Judea. And we've all heard those terms. You probably don't always can't match it up in your... And then you go, well, then there's Samaria in between those areas. Uh, there's Samaria in there. In between Galilee and Judea is Samaria. And, and so Jesus was going from lower Judea all the way up through Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, the history is that in Samaria lived the Samaritans. And go ahead and take it off because people are going to start watching and looking and looking for all the places on the map. They're going to check out and have a much better time than listening to me. So, so, you know, the story of the Samaritans was that back in 2 Kings chapter 17, Assyria came in and they took captive Israel. And then they 
put people back into inhabit the area of Samaria. And they intermingled and they intermarried. And then lions began to come in and destroy the people. And the, and the people that the Assyrians that were living there, and the different people that were living there that were transplanted into Samaria said, we don't know the customs of the God of this nation. Teach us. And so they sent the, the, the Jewish priest back in to teach them the customs and how to worship God. And he didn't do it well. He, he taught them the customs, but they said, okay, so we're going to worship God, but we're also going to continue to worship on the high places. And so they mixed the faith. And that was the beginning of the Samaritans. So they were a mixed breed, half of Jewish descent, half of Israel descent, and half of the nations that we were supposed to destroy. And so they were despised by the rest of the pure Jews. And because of all the animosity, they wouldn't come to Jerusalem to worship. They would worship at their own places. And there was fighting for years. And Samaria started out as just a city. And it grew. And at different times, at different times, Samaria really took up the whole northern region. At different times in the Bible, when it talk about Samaria, it took up the entire region. Now in the time of Jesus, it's small. We have Galilee in the north. We have Judea in the south and Samaria in between. And the Jews didn't like to work with the Samaritans. Now, they would trade with them. They would do business with them. But they wouldn't eat with them. They wouldn't fellowship with them. And sometimes, in order to not do that, they would skirt around Samaria if they had to travel north and south. But Jesus goes right through the middle. He finds himself in Samaria. Chapter verse 3. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. He didn't need to geographically, but he needed to divinely. God had a call for Jesus to go through and to do this very specific thing in Samaria. He needed to go. Have you ever been in that place where he said, I just need to do this? Sometimes you don't even know why you're doing it. You just go, I just need to go. I need to do. And then when you get there, you go, wow, now I know why I'm here. There's a need that drove Jesus. And he goes in and he begins. This is going to change Christianity. This is going to change the ministry of Jesus so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Verse 5. Sychar is just real close to Samaria. On your, on your map, it's over on the east here. And Jacob's well was there. Yes, this is Jacob. The Jacob, the patriarch. Jacob, Joseph, the 12 tribes of Israel. This was his plot of land, and this was his well Jacob's well was there just therefore being wearied from his journey verse 6 Jesus sat thus by the well it was about the sixth hour so it was about 12 o'clock in the afternoon about 12 o'clock normally the ladies would come out and they'd draw water in the morning they'd come back in the evening and draw water in the evening they weren't usually out at noontime it was too hot they had their water for the day Jesus sitting there by the well and a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. He opens up a conversation with a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans, they don't really have a lot of business. But he's asking her to now serve him. Will you please give me a drink? It's a common conversation. Jesus is beginning to set something up for us. You don't have to walk up to somebody always and say, do you know Jesus? Has anybody ever explained to you the four spiritual laws? Can I have a drink? 
Some of the greatest conversations you'll have in your life that can lead to evangelism and sharing your faith start with a simple question. What aisle is the ketchup on? (laughs) Get me a drink. Verse 8. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So he's all alone. A Jewish man and a Samaritan woman compromising. Verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I don't know. Was it an accusation? Was it, what are you doing? This is those times, so many times I'm reading the Bible and I go, man, give me a tone of voice. What's your tone? She could have been accusing him. What are you doing? You're a Jew and you're asking me? Why are you Christian? Why are you coming to me? I'm a sinner. We've had those same accusations. We come into a situation, we get accused. So Jesus listens. And he says to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Right there, we need to learn this on how to share our faith. He didn't go down the rabbit trail. Well, you know, I know there's a lot of issues between Jews and Samaritans, but I'm not like other Jews. See, what you really need to know is just that I love you. And go. He didn't go down that path. Most of us would. We begin to explain and say maybe we're different. We would do something and follow this. But Jesus knew what the heart of the matter was. And he heard her and then he just got right back on the topic. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's a great lesson to learn. When we're, when we're in a conversation with anybody, sharing our faith, even if we don't realize we're sharing our faith yet, the, the comments come, God, is this something we need to be talking about? What do you want to say right now in this moment? One of the things when I used to do a lot of uh, witnessing down in Hollywood with Ron and Judy Radicke is where I cut my teeth on the streets with Mark Johnson and... And they'll be coming up sometime in the next year to, um, just to share with us. But he would teach this class, Ron, and he had a class called the ABCs of Evangelism. It's a great class. I've probably got old tapes of it. How to Share Your Faith on the Streets. And his always started with this. First, last, and always be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Ghost. This morning is really, I want to kind of give some practical ways to share our faith and things that we should be aware of. And he would say, first, last, and always be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Ghost. We need to know, God, what are you saying? What are, what are, what? Show me the heart of the matter right now. Because many times in conversations, people will say something and it's not the heart. And they're going to lead you astray. And we need to be sensitive to say, God, what do you want to say to this person right now? And so Jesus, he had that ability and he goes right back. Uh, and, he, and he asks this, he says these strange things, which Jesus often did. You know, give you living water. He, he wasn't totally outright yet saying, you know, you can have eternal life. He says, I'll give you living water. I was thinking of John chapter 7, verse 37. It says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams 
of living water will flow from within him. So he's talking about himself being the living water and the Holy Spirit who would rise up and come out as being the living water. So he's talking in, in much of a parable now to, to her. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? Again, what's her tone? The Samaritans are despised. They feel judged. They feel condemned. Much like a group of people that we're experiencing a lot today. We're constantly looking at Christians saying, you judge us. She felt judged and condemned. I think it's very possible that, she, again, she's coming back with this thing of going, you don't even have anything to draw water with. She's, she's angry. It's possible. Because then she goes on and says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Now, we got to get this picture. I read, reading this again, I went, she's talking about Jacob. The Jacob, the patriarch, who is one of the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. And she's saying, this was Jacob's well, and I'm living at it. You Jews, you think you have it all? I've got the well. You think you're all of it? I've got part of this too. This was our father Jacob's well. He didn't say your father's well. He didn't say the patriarch should our father's well. This, we're part of this deal with you. I think she's hurt. I think she's angry. And Jesus keeps just knocking on her door. Are you greater than our father Jacob? And Jesus replies, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Notice how he's really good at this. How many times you start getting accused and somebody coming off with the stuff, we just follow it, we defend ourselves, and we come up with these great quips, and we're, we talk about this, and he just says, whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. Right back to the heart of the matter. It's not, it doesn't matter if you're angry. God wants to touch your heart. You might feel condemned, but God wants to touch your heart. He wants to give you eternal life. That's the main thing. He evades the superfluous questions. God, help us. Let that be a prayer. God, help us to always know the questions that need to be answered and the answers and the questions that don't. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jeremiah 2.13, go there quickly with me. There was an accusation that God had against His people in Jeremiah chapter 2. And it's regarding this living water. Jesus is bringing it back saying, I want to give you living water. In verse 13 of Jeremiah chapter 2, it says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Jesus is coming right back and saying, I'm going to give you living waters. I'm the living fountain. And they said in Jeremiah 2, 13, the second part says, and they've also hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You know, God is our fountain. God is our source. He is the supplier of this living water. The Holy Spirit living in us is living water. But in the Jeremiah's day, the cisterns were broken and they couldn't hold it. 
I think the accusation is true today. There are people in the church, God's people, who've called at Him, who've allowed themselves to be broken again, and they cannot hold the living water in their life. They're those believers who were salty, but they're losing their saltiness. We need to go back to the Lord and let Him heal us so that we can hold that living water. We also have to understand as we're sharing our faith with others that they need to, they are vessels that were meant to hold the living water of God. We can't look at sinners and just think that they're no good cigarette sucking sinners. And we've got to change our attitude and understand that these are vessels created by God for God's purpose to hold living water and that we should look and pray, God, help us to see the life in there. He wants to bring springs of everlasting life into our lives. Remember, this week we've been spending a lot of time looking at old pictures for Pastor Jeff's celebration. and So all the old songs were going through my head this week. And I was thinking of, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. You know? I've got a river of life flowing out of spring up of life. Yeah, you remember that. You know, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Jesus is offering this living water life. He is not debating doctrine. He is going to the heart of the matter. says, there's living water that you can have. Sir, verse 15 Give me this water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Boy, I still want to know, what was she thinking? Her, her interest has peaked at this point. She's, she's in there, but is she evading again? Is she not understanding it? Is this another Nicodemus, Nicodemus moment where he's saying, you know, how can I be born again and enter up into my mother's womb? She's not quite catching on, and she's just thinking, give me some water. I don't want to have to keep coming back to this place. By the way... Something I, I forgot to mention, it's noon and she's drawing her water at noon. Why is she out there at noon? We don't know. But the scripture gives us a hint. Probably because she wasn't very well liked. We're going to find out about her personal life. It's not too righteous. It's not too holy. She probably came out there because she was tired of the insults and the ridicule and not being able to be part. So Jesus is spending his time now with a Samaritan floozy. Give me this water so that I cannot thirst and I won't have to come here to draw water anymore. And Jesus, now this is what, when you're out on the streets, you always do. When you're sharing your faith, you always want to pray, God, give me a word of wisdom. Give me a word of knowledge over this person's life. Because when you can speak truth into somebody that they don't have an idea, they don't know how you know, Boy, that's a great, great moment. And Jesus goes, go call your husband and come here. He knew. And she goes, well, I have no husband. Right there, this is one of the things that I think Jesus breaks in the modern day philosophy of evangelism. In modern day philosophy of evangelism, avoid topics of sin. Don't talk about it. Make them feel good. Give them a desire to know Jesus, and Jesus goes right for it. Call your husband. He's, he knows that there's got to be something to be dealt with right now, and he's, he's, he's reading her mail, as we, we, we say it. He's talking into her spirit. She goes, I have no husband. Is she angry? Is she hurt? 
again, I wish I knew. Maybe out of maybe your head dropped and she says, I have no husband. Maybe there's guilt and shame. Maybe she feels judged. We'll find out more as the story goes. And he says, You have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the woman and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. She must have been from Hollywood. She's an actress or something. Five husbands and she's shacking up with someone. And what does she do? She does what most people do. She puts on the brakes. This is too personal. I'm going to change the subject again. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? He just kind of says, yeah, yeah, you're, you've had five husbands. You're shacking up now. And, and rather than go with her feelings, she goes, perceive you're a prophet and radically changes, alter, alters the course here and says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus goes right back and says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father he takes away all divides. He doesn't go in the route of Jews and Samaritans. He doesn't go in the line of the churches are divided. You know, some churches do this and some churches do that. What do you think? The truth is coming. The day is coming soon when we won't attend a church at all like this. But we'll be together in heaven. And only those who worship the Lord. His response, you worship that you don't know, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship it in spirit and in truth. And there was something in her he knew. And when he just began to minister to her heart in this idea that we will one day worship God. And it won't be about the Jews and the Samaritans. She was judged and ridiculed. And he began to love her and say, it's not about that. It's not that you're an outcast. It's that if you call on the name of the Lord, we'll worship together. You have to worship him in spirit and in truth. And she goes on and says, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. I get this picture of her going, that's enough. Messiah is going to come and he can tell me what he wants to tell me. I worship God my way. And God tells me what I'm doing is fine. Sounds like people I've spoken to. Don't you tell me what's going on. I, I can talk to God anytime I want. I can go out into the woods and talk to the trees and they talk back to me. I can go and do whatever I want to do. And he says, I who speak to you am he. Now, Unfortunately, we can't say that to people. But we can present him once again. I just spent time with the God that you're speaking of. And he's offering you love and life and eternal life. It's just getting good. He keeps cutting to the heart of the matter. And then those darn disciples show up. <laughs> You ever been there? You think yeah. you're making headway and you're about to, you're just going and then something happens and it just messes everything up. It wasn't a mess up. Sometimes when we're sharing our faith, we need to know when we need to stop and be done. Just be done. 
You know, there's this thing for some of us, we just gotta, we gotta seal the deal. We gotta, we gotta drive this nail home. We gotta lead them to Jesus. And he says, no. It all ends, those disciples show up and, but you, you, you read, and the woman leaves her water pot. She doesn't go home. She doesn't put on her makeup. She doesn't check her, her, her phone to see if she has any other engagements. She leaves her water pot, which is important to her because she needs to draw water every day. And she goes immediately to town. And she finds men. Didn't say that she found women. She said she went to the men. And that's an interesting thought too. You know, she might have just gone back to the men she's really knew well. <laughs> I, I don't know. But, but there's something in this culture that, about going to the men that's different about going to women. She went to the influencers. She went directly to the source of the people that would change the thinking in the villages. The men were the leaders. The women learned in submission. Often the men were more knowledgeable in this culture. And we're talking about the culture. Men were more knowledgeable about spiritual things. She went to the men and said, let me tell, tell you about the person who told me everything there was to know about me. These guys had the uh, ability to transform their villages. And they begin to return. These men going, let's go check out what this woman is talking about. The disciples are there and they're trying to get Jesus to eat. And right at the perfect time, Jesus says, I have food to eat of which you do not know. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for the harvest. I've got food. I've got this. The harvest is coming and it's ready. And what is he talking about? Does Jesus ever confuse you? I read the Bible. I'm like, what? He's talking about food. Now he's going, you know, there's a harvest coming. And he says, look up. The harvest is white right now. I believe with all of my heart that as he said that, he timed it perfect because Jesus knew. And all the Samaritans were coming up over the hill. And he looked out and says, the harvest is ripe. He's talking about them. Because they're coming, and they're coming to get saved. He goes on. This is, and he who reaps receives wages. He's talking to his disciples. He says, this is the harvest. And now he's talking about reaping the harvest. These people need Jesus. They need salvation. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Go. Reap the harvest. All around you are people who others have shared their faith with. All around you are people who've been told by somebody else, God changed my life, He can change yours. And they're now in your life. They've come up over the hill. And Jesus says to you, look, the harvest is white. It's ripe. It's ready. Others have done the labor, but it's your turn to reap. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about my love. Ask them if they want to have eternal life. All around us there are people. We live in a, in a country that still is full of, of the presentation of the gospel of Jesus. I believe the time's coming when that's not going to be so. 
The time is coming when people will not have heard the gospel as much as they still have. But it's white. People need Jesus. And right now is a great time because people are hurting and they're lost and they've been putting their faith in the wrong things for years. And the harvest is ripe. And we just need to go out and be faithful. Fulfill what He said. Take those opportunities in aisle 8 when you're talking with somebody. At the, at the star, well, but maybe not at the drive-thru. The drive-thru is a bad place to witness to people, but, you know, those people behind you want their caramel macchiato. But people, people need Jesus, and He's given us this ministry. You don't have to go to Hollywood. You just have to go next door. But will, will we listen to that call and say, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to strike up a conversation and see where it goes. I'm ready to, to try to not follow these rabbit trails and just bring it back to you. You know, yeah, I understand that you've been hurt by Christians, but, you know, God really does love you. I can't answer all the questions that you're asking me. Well, what about dispensationalism? And what about the end times? And what about the rapture? And you know what? God loves you. And He wants to bring you eternal life. And a life that will... will swell up and bring forth rivers of living water. That's what He's calling us to. And so many of the Samaritans, many of the Bigberians of that city believed in Him because of the word, the woman who testified. And so those from Big Bear came to Him and urged Him to stay with them. People from Big Bear want to hear about Jesus. They want to hear about eternal life because the hope of this world is fading fast. Father, I'm convicted by my own message. God, I can't live in the glory of those times that I used to faithfully and regularly go out and share my faith. But God, I know you're calling us to open our eyes and see the harvest and to be active in reaping the harvest. Be active in sowing the seeds and reaping. God, you've commanded us to go. You've equipped us. And you've sent us. Give us a heart for the lost. Give us a heart of obedience as we go into our neighborhoods, into the city, into the world with the love, the message of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see.